millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ah. Nice place. Thanks. Workshop studio, I guess, isn't it? This is just a yeah. prep studio. Yeah. Where you come most days? Five days a week, yeah. I live in Norwood and I come down the hill, I either walk if I'm feeling virtuous or jump on the bus down the hill and then I walk past that famous mural of Bowie opposite Brixton Station uh, and head up to the dairy where I've got a writing room. Yeah, I do office hours. Here with Guy Garvey, of course. Guy, frontman and lyricist of Elbow, a band which formed, well, I guess officially, what, 20 years ago, 22 years ago in Bury? You've been well, in we, bands together before. We were that. a band before then, yeah. We, we changed the name to Elbow. Uh, yeah, it must be 22 years ago, but we've been playing together for 28 years. 28 years. Mm-hmm. And then there was a kind of a slow burn. You had three or four albums before The Seldom Seen Kid, which was the big breakthrough one, nominated for the. Mercury Music Prize. Yeah. And is it just, because people think of you as frontman, singer, lyricist, but we are here in your studio, surrounded by instruments. We have guitars, we have a piano and a Hammond organ. You're composing as well in here. Yeah, the rest of the lads still work in Salford, in Blueprint Studios, where we've been for the last uh, 15 years, something like that. Um, and when I married Rachel and moved to London and I had my son Jack, we were looking around Brixton for somewhere to work, and this place came up. We worked here, Elbow worked here in 2003 on our second record, or maybe even 2002, uh, on our second record, Cast of Thousands, with Ben Hillier, and this was Ben's little writing room back then, so it's really nice to come full circle and find myself a permanent resident in here. Very lucky. But, yeah, mainly my focus is Elbow, but this Hammond has, has featured heavily on, on our next record. This is, uh, I think, Hugh found it on eBay. That's not a B3, my, my is it? That's not the old... Um... No, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's almost a transistor version of, of the B3. The speaker's housed inside it. But it's an amazing... Do you want to have yeah, a quick listen? Yeah, go on. It's got a really interesting feature down the bottom called One Finger Chords. And if you're not a real musician, as I am... Oh, nice. Polyphonic. One key will play several notes. We'll play you a chord. 
and they're even labelled here underneath. So if I like the sound of them, I, I can uh, I can get the boys to uh, I can tell them what the chords are. It's got and bass pedals bass down bass the bottom. Wow, this is a lovely bit of kit, isn't it? It really is. And you've been writing on this? Yeah. They see. That's kind of reminiscent of uh, raw sex. Do you remember? Uh, Roland River. Oh, Roland, yeah. But slowed right down this thing. Uh, Looking for the tempo tempo switch. There we go. Nice. And there's a nice reverb on it. Oh, there you go. It just wasn't working. Bit of a kind of (laughs) slap back echo on that, isn't it? Yeah. But this, this sort of... Um, we were huge fans of the Sly and the Family Stone record. There's a riot going on. Oh, yeah. And he uses loads of the old-fashioned beatbox off his organ on that, on that record. So, it, yeah, there's about three tunes on the record that have used it. Do you come here with a notebook with the lyrics? Or, I mean, is the music written separately from the words very often? I've recently gone back to analogue... <laughs> ah, the I'm, notebook grabbed from the <clears throat> Yeah, I've got this really quite sort of geeky filing system to help me get to the song I'm working on faster. Because I'm making notes sometimes while looking after my son or even making a radio programme. So this is fascinating. So this has got... <laughs> there's a small green notebook and on the front it says Elbow 8, Yeah, album title. So it's untitled at the moment. Yeah. Unless it's going to be called Elbow 8, which um, is not a we, bad we, one. We've got a, we've got a few titles okay. in the offing. But it, uh, yeah. And then down the front uh, on a piece of gaffer tape which has been attached, all that marking tape, then you have titles of songs. And then... Those stickies, which indicate the pages within the book, and if you pull one of those stickies and uh, yeah. the book opens and you go straight to the lyric to which it relates on the front cover, that's, that's a pretty efficient system. Well, I, I, I lost a journal in 2000... I mm, can't remember. I think working on the second album, I lost one. I think I left it on a train. And after that, it kind of got less personal, the, the, the journal. And then I thought, I don't treasure these objects as I used to for fear of losing them, because it was devastating. I lost nine months' work. I decided there and then that I was going to go digital and started writing in my laptop. I also, the recording software I use is in my laptop, so yeah. it comes everywhere. One-stop shop. Yeah, and they got small enough to carry around with you anywhere. Um, but then just recently, maybe about six months ago, I found myself really missing just the aesthetic of a notebook and a pen. There's something about the physical... Contact, isn't it? Holding a pen and putting it straight there onto the pen. Do you think you get... It's definitely a different filter, I think. Do you think the lyrics are different when you're writing physically rather than typing digitally? You might get, like, a little nebula of words on a page as you correct and recorrect a line. Um, if I always cross out legibly, so you see what I've crossed out, whereas you don't get that digitally. It just disappears. Yeah. You, so, just, you just hit delete and it's gone. Yeah, you, know, you, you redo the part. Of and course. It, and it's neat and it's tidy and you can access anything by search word, which is really handy because I think most songwriters I've ever spoken to write cyclically. You write the same themes again and again. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I can, go, I can go to the word, I don't know, faith or I could go to the word uh, father or uh, empire or love and it'll throw up dozens of files from the last ten years, you know, because those words come up a lot. Especially love. 
Love, yeah, exactly, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, there's that handy side of it. And I think once I finish this journal, what I'll probably do when it's full is go through it with a highlighter and anything handy that I've not used for this record, I'll, I'll then put into my computer. And what about the smartphone in terms of the writing? Because I mean, so many writers talk about... In fact, your mate Richard Hawley was saying to me the other week, and this is a lovely image that he came up with, writing songs, it's like holding, trying to cup water in your hands and hold it and it's slipping through your fingers. Or it used to be, mm. because you get a melody, a word, a line, whatever, and by the time you got home to write it down, it's all sort of trickling away. Mm. Now, of course, you can whip out a smartphone, you can start getting yeah. tune, words, whatever. Has that changed it for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Leonard Cohen says, doesn't he, in the famous Blue Raincoat, I hope you're keeping some kind of record. And, yeah, the fact that he keeps all those files automatically and it's just marvellous. And I totally agree with Hawley. It means that less and less stuff gets forgotten, washed away. Because there's that old adage, you know, if it's good enough, you'll remember it. That is not true. That's the McCartney line, isn't it? He said, you know, he said... Him and Lennon would sit there and if they couldn't remember the song that they were kind of knocking together in the morning, it wasn't good enough to be a single... Well, there's that. I suppose if you're after hooks and you're after it being catchy, then, yeah, I suppose so. But it's not the only consideration, is it? <laughs> I'm really glad it's not the only consideration, else we'd be screwed. Right, the task in hand. Yeah. Three songs... Uh, and the first one is the song I wrote. Is the one that immediately springs to mind that you thought? No, I, I just waited for one to. It's when 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 you mentioned it because we, we ran into each other in the street. We, we literally did, and uh, not far from here. Yeah, chance uh, meeting. Yeah, totally. We tend to do that a lot, you and I. <laughs> we actually have yeah. done over the years. <laughs> yeah. So when you mentioned the premise, the one that first brushed my mind, I thought there must be a reason I want to talk about that one. So I've chosen Lippy Kids. Off, uh, actually, which album was it on? Uh, Build a Rocket Boy. Build a Rocket Boy, which of course, well, the clue, I mean, the title of the album <laughs> comes from. You know, the it took song me itself. a second, John. Yeah. It took me a second. So, Lippy Kids is a really lovely vignette. Kids on the street corner, taking yourself back to childhood or looking at kids now from a, a person, an older perspective. The song started. There was a house I lived in when I was 23 in Presswich on a Mountfield Close. Um, I think the number might have been 23 as well. And I lived there, shared it with two guys. We had no heating. We didn't have any money, really. And the landlord was endlessly patient, but eventually told us to sling our hook. But, yeah, no heating in this place. So in the winter, the, the doors would seal shut and you had to leave through the kitchen window, enter and leave through the kitchen window. <laughs> <laughs> but in the summer, it was this beautiful, breezy thing you could not afford in our position. It was a really lovely house that had been let go. So in the winter, it was awful, but in the summer, it was gorgeous. And all our friends had hang out there because it was quiet and leafy and just a really lovely part of press, which is like that generally yeah. in North Manchester there. And it's the first time I fell in love with writing words, sat at the desk, and I remember... My pal's going out to play cricket and drink cider and asking me if that I wanted to come with. And I really wanted to finish what I was working on. And I realised that it had become the most important thing about being in the band. 
was was for me was the words. This is still really early days of Elbow. Yeah, so this is. Uh, in fact, were you Elbow by that point? Uh, not quite. No, we were still Mister Soft, Mr. and we were still rubbish. But I want I wanted to uh, I wanted to get better at it, and and I really I came to really love the work and and really love the sort of time spent over it and trying to do something well, you know. And also twenty three, I had. A few years of adult existence under my belt to ponder. I'd been looking after myself since I was 17. I left home at 17. I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew I wanted to pursue the band to, uh, and I didn't want to do anything else. Loads of songs were written about that period because it was when I fell romantically in love with, with writing. So in thinking about Lippy Kids, I was picturing Mountfield close and I was picturing these this bunch of kids who'd hung that would hang around on the corner at the bottom. And for me, it was uh, running a gauntlet with some cheeky little sods. But for the older people on the street, it was really quite terrifying. And I started writing the song from their point of view in sympathy with them. Mm. And it stayed like that. I just had the verse. I wrote the verse on a piano with Pete playing the bass and Chup on the drums. And I had just literally the melody going round on the piano. You can tell I wrote it. Can you it, show us? Oh my goodness! Um, Put you on the spot. Yeah. As we I'm, move I'm over to the piano. Probably won't be in the right key, and it's. You can tell it's me because it's only two fingers. I can't remember where it starts. Uh, do you know what? I might even have a working file on it. Of Lippy Kids. Yeah, it started as some kind of jam. Just that's it. Oh, there you go, that's me. Lippy kids on the corner begin gathering like crows. And I never perfected the Simeon stroll. So that's a voicemail. Cigarette Senate was everything then. Just like we were talking about, that was me getting the Do they know those days are gold, gold, gold? That, That changed. Build a rocket, boys. The curb weed and the shale was boardroom where we formed our plans. That never made it. Best friends let you fail. And mine are all still here to a man. And they stuck a pin in the map I was in. Day one. Win, win. So come on. Build the rocket, boys. So So a lot of those words are not in the final song, are they? No. I've got to say, though, Guy, that is really lovely. So you are... That's a note to yourself. You are writing those words, or you've clearly written them down, and then yeah. you're putting them... Well, I will have had the piano in mind that, that I'd already put down, because, oh, maybe not, maybe I did put them together afterwards. I, I have absolutely no memory of doing that, by the way. Lippy kids on the corner again. What, of recording that memo? Yeah, so there you go, it was the 30th of October, 2009. Lippy kids on the corner begin Saddling like crows Though I never perfected the simian stroll The cigarette senate was everything then The cigarette senate, that's a lovely line fact that they've got some kind of congress yeah they're discussing the events of the day around the lit cigarette that they shouldn't be smoking yeah because i imagine these kids 14 yeah 14 upwards and it was all playing at being adults finding out where you wanted to be finding out what you wanted to be and reminding people that we've all done that in some way oh certainly those of us who were allowed to be teenagers 
I started it with, with, with from the point of view of the older people, you know, lippy kids on the corner again. I imagine people scared to leave the home. Yeah. And you, then you don't want to walk past them. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, and then I, I wanted to talk to them and say, these are just young people forming their identities and walking on you know, finding out who they are. Stealing blues and our long hungry kisses. And nobody knew me at home anymore. And I'm, I'm trying to remind people that, that it's something to be celebrated and something to, to, to be envied even. And, I mean, the irony being that the last serious riot in this country saw in 2011 was the week that Lippy Kids was released. And I remember I was on holiday in Cornwall, my first holiday in Cornwall ever, and it all went off in London, in Tottenham. And I said to my then partner, Emma, they'll be making shopping lists in Salford. And, of course, the following day, it was happening all over the country. And there was a weird sort of chiming. Uh, certainly people's sympathies were not with the young that week mm. and, and not with, you know, the, the theme of this song wasn't really going to resonate with anybody because we'd just seen an uprising of unhappy, dissatisfied people who don't consider that they have any options, any future, who aren't afraid of prison because life's already a prison. And it was strange for it to come out in that week, you know. But... I found out that Elvis Costello and his wife are both fans of the song, and that made me enormously proud. <laughs> so can you remember the chorus to Lippy Kids then, do you Well, think? just, I might have the first recording of it. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. Um, it must have been called something else. Oh, here we go. From the top, from the start. So this is Pete on the bass, Jup on the drums, and me on the piano. Totally different to the finished version. It's interesting that I kept around there somewhere, around all around those notes, that melody. Mm. That's amazing. Is that you on piano or is that Mark? No, that's me. You can tell because there's, there's only two fingers on the keyboard. Now you've found your way back in, haven't you? There we go. <laughs> I must have been. Craig would tell me off for keeping me foot on the sustain pedal, but it just sounds nicer. You're just covering the mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you That's go. really lovely. And you're particularly proud of that song, obviously. Well, the loveliest thing happened. So we had... The verse, we had literally that jam that I played you. Mark found the chorus chords, and, and they're a real departure from this very sort of uh, nervous, claustrophobic-sounding verse, you know, which is, which is why I think those lyrics came back to me, was because of this twitchy curtain, afraid-to-go-out thing. Oh, that's that's what those sort of three notes that kind of circling around. That's what that suggests. Yeah, it's it's, it's sort of urban intrigue, yeah. Alan, Alan Bennett. You know, if you think about all the music on the Talking Head plays, it's all very sort of yeah, nervous is the best way to put it. And when I did the vocal, I drank a bottle of wine, listened to it again. I thought, is that as good as I think it is? Smoked a load of fags, drank some more wine, got an hour's sleep, listened to it again. Thought it's still as good as I thought it was. Sent it to the boys. And then didn't really sleep that night because I was so happy about the song. 
Um, and then Skyped them the next morning when they'd all heard it and they were together in the studio. And I have a Skype photograph of the four of them giving me a round of applause on, on Skype. And <laughs> they all loved it, which never happened. It was one that seemed to touch a lot of people. And I think maybe that sort of the shifting perspective is so important that you've got, you know, the nervousness of the old people looking out at the kids smoking their cigarettes and being a bit threatening, but then you get in mind of the kids. But then that phrase, build a rocket, boys, that's you, though, isn't it? That's you saying, come on, take off. Yeah. It's all in front of you. Yeah, totally. Build a rocket, I had so much encouragement. It's only realised, as I become a father, I realise how much my mum's responsible for. She, she told me from day one that I was destined for greatness and special things and that I had to be kind to everyone and all men were equal, but you're special. <laughs> and she totally inflated my ego from, from day one. Uh, and it's only now that I'm a dad, I realise that I've got to do exactly the same thing for my son because I've had such a great time. I've been encouraged. I've got these five sisters who spoilt me rotten from day one, you know. And there, there was no chance I wasn't going to have an ego the size of Jupiter. Um, and luckily, I met a bunch of lads who, who have similarly sized egos, and off we went. That's interesting. Five sisters, but then you join a, a band of five, five members, five boys. Yeah, yeah. Just equaling things up. Yeah, and and they're definitely, you know, in in many ways closer than my family. I know them better than my family in some ways. They're very definitely my brothers, yeah. That's a really fascinating insight into the songwriting process from those first thoughts and chords and then that, that you know, those demos. That really is amazing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So the song you wish you'd written or that you really admire as a songwriter... Well, you're going to have to choose one for me. I can't decide between White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane uh, or Golden Brown by The Stranglers. <laughs> 
both drug songs. <laughs> well, so it's kind of acid or smack choice. Really. Yeah, 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 acid or smack, John. <laughs> All songs are drug songs. Yeah, they are really, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> of course they are. Going way back. <laughs> Which one? White Rabbit? White Rabbit, let's try that one. So here you've got a song that starts, changes key and gets more intense until it climaxes and ends. It's like the bolero. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. It's got its military side. It was about the Vietnam War. It was about protesting that. Alice Pax, as I understand it, it's an acronym, and I've got, I can't remember what the acronym is, but it was the packs the American DJs the G- had to carry. DJs? The G- what, sorry? DJs. GIs. GI, did I say DJs? Yeah, American DJs. Jesus. <laughs> like, no. Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah. Um, American <laughs> GIs had to carry these packs, and they were ill-designed and mass-produced, and they left welts in your back. And of course, there's the Alice in Wonderland references throughout the song. When men on the chessboard get up and tell you where to go, and the Red Queen, all these sort of Vietnam related Alice in Wonderland words. Plus, you know, the uppers and the downers can be applied to acid. So it's about drugs, it's about the air, it's about protest. It's all of these things using the words of a psychedelic children's text. But her voice is unbelievable. And you believe it, and she believes it. And actually, you can get a copy on the internet of just her vocal. Isolated. Yeah, and it's no less intense. When I listened to White Rabbit for the first time, I was 14. I think I'd seen it in a war movie about the Vietnam War, and I was into Woodstock at that age. I was starting to look at what it was and and understand the peace movement and wish I was in 1969, which, of course, I had no idea about. But this song, you know, this... this, uh, The opening lines of, of, of White Rabbit... One pill makes you larger, one pill makes you small, but the one that mother gives you doesn't do anything at all. It's about leaving home, it's Mm. about finding your own path, it's about becoming an adult, it's about where I was and what I'm supposed to do isn't working for me. And I related to that, and I still do. But the fact that you couldn't choose between White Rabbit, Jefferson Airplane, and Golden Brown by The Stranglers, I can't let that one go, and I'm going to give you two choices, because I want to hear why Golden Brown, because that's, uh, what was that, 80, 79, 80, around that time. Yeah. Golden brown, texture like sun, lays me down with my mind, she runs throughout the night, no need to fight, never a frown. I remember when I was a kid, I knew there was something 
naughty about the Stranglers. I knew there was something dark that I shouldn't be around. You know, my mum protected us from bad influences as she saw it. Uh, I remember I wasn't allowed to watch the young ones because there was too much violence in it. And I'd go to primary school and they'd all be quoting the young ones from the night before and and, and playing the young ones in the playground. And you, you didn't know what they were talking about? I used to join in like I did know what they were talking about and just sort of wing it. <laughs> uh, and everybody wanted to be uh, Vivian or Rick or, or Neil. Nobody wanted to be Mike. I always ended up being Mike. Mike, the cool person. Yeah, exactly. Who you know, who none of the kids wanted to be actually. Anyway, I sort of mum, mum's very much sort of protected us from like even the A team. She wouldn't let us watch the A team. Were you allowed to watch ITV? Not very often. <laughs> no, <laughs> and it was like. Mum, why can't I watch it? Nobody dies in the A-team. She goes, yes, but when you point a gun at people and shoot, that's not what happens, you know. And she was just very, very, you know. Anyway, what was my point there? Golden brown. Oh, yeah. So the, I thought, a bit scary. if mum knows I'm watching this, she might turn it off. Because these guys look serious. These guys look moody. They look like they're up to no good. But then this beautiful, melodic thing... You know, yeah, John Jacques Bunnell on the double bass, uncharacteristically, yeah. and then of course this this crazy timing on the harpsichord, and it, and it was like, why did this yeah. punk band go for this disjointed, strange seven eight whatever it is, this this odd timing? It the, is seven eight, I think, isn't it? Well, the ver- the verse is in a completely different timing from the chorus, but I, I remember the sort of hypnotic loop of the harpsichord made your head swim. And then the melodies he chooses are effortless, and I appreciate as an adult just how effortless and cool he sounds. Golden brown, finer temptress. His voice isn't affected, it's just right there. And it's pretty much sloganeering from the off with his words. Never a frown with golden brown. And then by the time you get to this beautiful guitar solo. It's one of the best guitar solos I've ever heard for its minimalism and its beauty. And then you hear a little bit of him singing the guitar solo, and I wonder if he'd written it like that. Yeah, because I, 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 think, I think I often write parts of the guitar by singing them first and then learning them. It's a quicker way to access the melody. So, yeah. so I wonder... It's just a gorgeous song. And I've no doubt that it, it, its influences come from, like, Dave Brubeck via Pentangle. What's what's the Pentangle tune? Yeah, Yeah, that's another one. It's mm. very, very sort of similar timing Cheers, and, and melodic. And, and Take Five And Brubeck. Take Five feeds that, yeah. But, yeah, just... Stunning. And also, there were all sorts of rules for what made a hit and what didn't. And Golden Brown knocked them all out of the park. It just sort of said, if a song's strong, if a song's good, if a song connects, we don't need these rules of where the chorus goes and how many times you've got to hear the hook. And it's just like a beautiful moment in time. That's worth remembering, isn't it? Just play it by your own rules. Do what you want. If it's good, yeah. people will follow it, will pick up on it, will yeah. share it. If you're trying to connect and you're writing honestly, you'll get there. You know, there's that whole inspiration has to find you working sort of attitude, which is 
keep tinkering. Some days being down here in this room, I feel like an old man tinkering with his vintage car. Nobody really cares. I don't really drive it anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's lovely, you know, lovely old thing. And then other days I'm here with, with a bee in my bonnet and and I'm really glad it's soundproof. You know, I'm, I make some pretty awful noise in here sometimes. And then, particularly in recent years, other times I've been incredibly sad in here. There's been an awful lot of sadness in life in the last uh, 18 months particularly. My dad died and then two very close friends of mine died within eight days of each other, oh um, which was... Very, very cruel. Old friends... Coincidentally. Completely. Uh, but, I mean, it's stupid in terms of... They were both venue owners in Manchester. Jan Oldenburg was the proprietor of the Night and Day Cafe where Elbow cut their teeth and hung around. Uh, and he was, he's been my friend for 25 years, as has Scott Alexander, who was the um, owner of Big Hands and, uh, and the Temple Bar. And Scott was particularly close to to Mark and I, Scott died very young of lung cancer, um, which came out of the blue. But the craziest thing being that uh, a week before he did, our old friend Jan had a heart attack and died. The last time I saw Jan was talking about Scott, and Jan was very, very upset, saying... Because he was in his 70s. And Jan was very upset, saying, Scott shouldn't be going before me, and he didn't. Mm. So I delivered two eulogies and carried two coffees in eight days. Jesus. And, you know, hot on the heels of everything going on with my dad, you can imagine it's found its way into the music. Um, it's also made me appreciate so many amazing things about life. My son being around, where my dad's death was concerned, is I don't know what I would have done without him, you know. It's made it part of something rather than the end of something. Is it reflected in, in some of the music at the moment? Well, actually, the song I've picked for the song that I'm writing... We've got to change it, by the way, to song we wrote and song we are writing, <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. all of these are collaborative efforts with Of with course, Boyd. of course. It's a song called Empires. Baby, empires come well, the opening line and the catch, uh, the catch of the song is, "Baby, empires crumble all the time." Paint no, mind. Paint no mind. You just happen to witness mine. You just happen to witness mine. This is what my grief was doing to Rachel, and how amazing she was throughout the whole thing. How strong she was, and you know, test of a new marriage past 18 months and she was just incredible and it's also of course against the backdrop of everything that's been going on with the B word in this country which will still be going on when this podcast goes out mm -hmm. no doubt mm -hmm. so it's a kind of personal scenario then writ large and applied to a, a bigger situation of conflict and, and something falling apart yeah the chorus is kind of a sort of throwaway glib observation when huge things happen you're expected to forget the insignificant minutiae of day-to-day -day life and you're expected not to laugh when mourning, which is ridiculous. Uh, only sociopaths feel one thing at any one time. 
and it struck me that my friend Scott had died on a Tuesday. Uh, and the thought, why Tuesday, went through my mind. And I don't know why, but it was of some comfort. I think maybe it was the beginning of everything hasn't ended. You know, you've got a great big sad hole where your friend was, but everything hasn't ended. You know, maybe it, maybe that one thought was the beginning of learning how to live without that person. So the chorus is just the question, why Tuesday, you know? How can a disbelief typical Tuesday delivering blues with lead in its canopy scruffing And in the verse there's a note of hope. You know, don't let it don't let the light fall from your eyes, that's all it says. The rest of the album tackles Brexit and mourning and all the other things, sometimes quite angrily, and, and this is just resignation and and cold comfort, I suppose. Maybe empires crumble all the time. And is it comforting, is it cathartic, when you're kind of dealing with those very personal issues to come in here and write them down, knowing that they're then going to be heard by a lot of people, that you're sharing that very personal stuff? It's... Um, when trying to write such personal things into song you try and be mindful of the fact that you're never going to do them justice. You're never going to listen to a song and think, yeah, that's precisely what I felt about that person and exactly how I feel about losing them. You're just never going to get there. I don't know if other people feel like this, but I feel like I have a duty to try and express those things in song because that's my place. I'm a songwriter. And you've mentioned anger a couple of times, so it is, it is a, it's an angrier album. It touches on... Personal loss and national fracture as well. Given that all we're left with from Brexit so far is a hugely embarrassing illustration of just how our leaders are actually power-hungry, infighting, squabbling, selfish people. And, I mean, part of me already knows that you've got to be something of a sociopath to go into politics. Um, but I always thought when I was younger, if somebody said, I don't trust any of them, I always thought... That's an excuse not to be engaged mm. and you, you need to look a bit harder. And, of course, you do. You do need to be engaged. And there are good people in there, but they're few and far between. And I'm afraid that their principles are nothing to do with what they declare their principles to be. So everybody's angry. And so, of course, it's there. It's, it's threaded through the record. But I, I thought it would be an angry album, and it isn't. It's as big-hearted and as... Hopeful. Hopeful and, and hopefully musically interesting as any of our most experimental records. There's, there's an awful lot of prog on this one. Yeah? Yeah. It's kind of really... where you started as well, isn't it, with Mr Soft? Yeah, yeah. And sort of a lot of digging in together and, and, and find, finding our sort of musical joy in amidst it all. Guy, thanks so much indeed. I've got to let you get back to the writing. I know yeah. you've got a Skype call coming up with yeah. the band, haven't you? Can <laughs> yeah, totally, catch yeah. up with what's happening? Hi, Charlie. It's like that, yeah. Thanks, John. Great to see you, Guy. Thanks so much for that. A pleasure. Pleasure, absolutely. great lyricist and really lovely man. If you enjoyed that conversation with Guy Garvey, there are more episodes of these three waiting for you. We've already had three songs from Paul Weller, Tom O'Dell and Natalie Merchant. 
Richard Curtis talked about three films. We've had three plays from Kwame Kweyama and Lucy Preble. Actress Hayley Atwell talked about three roles, three paintings from Jonathan Yeo, and there are more on the way. Remember, you can subscribe to these three on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts. Please do rate and review us. It helps other people find these three. And we're on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks very much for listening. I'm John Wilson. This programme is produced in association with Analogue Folk. Analogue Folk.